You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Episode 7, The Paradox. Welcome to The Paradox with your attending, Dr. Eric Larson. He is a practicing anesthesiologist and clinical assistant professor at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. Listen in as he takes you behind the scenes of what practicing medicine in today's ever-changing world is like with another doctor. The Paradox is a fun and accidentally informative show for physicians, patients, or anyone who has ever found themselves in a waiting room. Welcome to The Paradox. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Larson. I'd like to welcome you to Episode 7. I have another great interview for you today. Today's more of a general purpose sort of uh, interview. It's not as specific to medicine per se as the practice of medicine, but it's on health insurance. And it's something which it, I'll touch in in the interview, but you know, we all purchase insurance for the most part. Uh, whether we select a plan through our employer, we have to find a plan uh, on our own. And it's a pretty complicated process. I mean, it's simple in the sense that you only have a few plans to select from, but how you select and what you select is pretty important. And then even once you have your insurance, how do you navigate healthcare? Because really we're not buying insurance, we're buying prepaid healthcare for the most part, right? But how do you navigate to get the best price and to spend the least amount of money to get the, you know, the care that you need? It's not quite as obvious as you may think. My guest is Kevin Way Casey, a physician in Texas, who has a really interesting take. Really funny guy. I know you're going to like this interview a lot. And uh, this is something you certainly you don't have to be have any sort of specialization in healthcare to get a lot out of. This is maybe not the right time because most of us pick our plans later in the fall, and maybe I'll have to link back to it at the fall. Um, but I think you're going to learn a lot about this, and certainly how you figure out how much to spend now to minimize how much you spend over the course of a year. And he'll get into that. And some interesting tactics, I guess, is probably the best way to put it. Again, if you are interested in anything that we talk about during the show, it'll all be on the show notes page. That's at theparadox.com slash 007. Uh, I guess I'm pretty ambitious that I have the 00. The anticipation, I guess, is that we'll have at least 100 episodes. But now that I've hit the 7th, I've always been told that that means you're going to keep going, uh, or at least at this point, I guess you don't know any better. But I got a couple other interviews already lined up, and so what was surprising for me, which shouldn't have been, is that it is very difficult to get two physicians' times to actually talk for an hour. I did not think this would be that complicated, but of course, I have four children, and they have all kinds of things going on. I, of course, work full-time. My wife works pretty much full-time, and it turns out there are only 24 hours in a day. And you do have to sleep during part of that. And other people have lives, surprisingly, just as busy as me. And so it's actually been the hardest part about this job. Once I got the front end done with the setting up the website and the and how to actually record, it's been a matter of just scheduling. And the putting the, the podcast themselves together has been fun, and it's actually pretty, uh, pretty easy and uh, I won't say automated, but it's pretty quick at this point. I want to again thank all my patrons at patreon.com slash the paradox. 
your support, even throwing a couple dollars here every month means the world to me. It helps encourage me. And every dollar that goes to Patreon will, of course, go to the production and the promotion of the show, which is going to be uh, gearing up here in just a little bit. Obviously, the best way to spread the show is through you. And if you're a repeat listener, thank you so much for coming back. Uh, if you're someone who's been sent here by a friend, welcome. And I hope you stick around and I encourage you to go back to the previous titles and find some that you might like because actually there are a lot of really good ones in there if I don't uh, mind tooting my own horn here. But I've learned quite a bit. I learned a lot actually in this episode too, which I'm sure you will. And so without further ado, I'd like to welcome you to Dr. Kevin Way Casey, physician, author, healthcare consultant, health insurance agent, <laughs> and just a all around really funny guy. And I think you'll get a lot out of this episode. Enjoy. I'd like to welcome my guest, Dr. Kevin Way Casey. He's a physician in Texas who is an author and healthcare consultant. And I'd like to thank you to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. So you're all you're the author of two books on healthcare insu- or health insurance or and healthcare economics, which I guess is about healthcare insurance. And I also noticed in your bio that you are an ins- health health insurance agent. Is that correct? Well, I used to be. Uh, what I did was a few years ago to try and give myself street credibility, if you will. I studied for four hours and I took the test and I passed it and voila, I was a licensed health insurance agent. I've never sold a single policy. You don't want me to sell you a policy, believe me. But I let the licensure lapse last summer because I'd never done anything with it. And to be quite honest, it was kind of confusing people because as we'll get into, I had a clinic, I have a practice where I don't accept health insurance. And it was just confusing folks because they were saying, wait a minute, you sell health insurance, but you don't take health insurance. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm just trying to paint myself as an expert. Were you not able to get to law school to become a malpractice attorney? Is that why you decided to do that? Uh, well, did I tell you? I don't know if I told you that or not, but I did go to law school for oh, okay. a year too. I'm, I'm an educated, yeah. You uh, yeah. I'm, I'm an educated fool. So yeah, I went to law school for a year, but uh, after one year of that, I, it was fascinating. I have to tell you, there was a, it, it was a much more uh, intellectually challenging and stimulating experience than even medical school was, to be honest, because it requires you to think. But the problem that I had with law school is the law is uh, the fact that it's not about truth or justice or, you know, the right thing. It's about theatrics and who's who's who can win, you know. And and I just mm-hmm. I couldn't do it. I don't have it within me to do that. Yeah. Well, you, you're the author of two books. So one is the, the Guide to Buying Health Insurance and Healthcare. And then the second one is Healthcareonomics 101, 500 Ways You're Being Ripped Off by the Health Insurance and Healthcare Industries. I think it's pretty clear your angle on that book. Uh, <laughs> on the first one, uh, with the buying health insurance, I, so the, as a premise, I guess, for anyone listening, the, both physicians and non-physicians listening to the show here, as a physician... People assume that I understand insurance uh, deeply. And, yes. And I think it's safe to say I don't. Well, I know it's safe for me to say I don't, but probably <laughs> very few physicians actually understand the process. In, in fact, if as anyone knows, if you go and ask your doc how much something costs, very few yeah. of them can tell you how much it costs. Well, that's probably right. because it depends who your insurance provider is and how much they actually, what deal sort of they have for various you know services. And also because I don't think really any of us understand what it is. There are so many... Uh, ways of paying through copays and balance payments and deductibles. Yeah. There's so many terms out there that make it confusing. And 
And we have to live in the same world as you. So when we get healthcare, generally speaking, we're using insurance through our employer, who is oftentimes ourselves or maybe the hospital system we work for. And so we're buying the same weird plans that anyone else is where we have to try and figure out what the best plan is at HSAs or, uh, you know, HMOs or PPOs. And so it, it is not at all clear to, to, to any of us how we select it. I know when you talk in your book, it, one of the points you make is that we spend a lot of time, like I'll spend a lot of time in the grocery store trying to figure out what, you know, what steak I want to get, but I probably don't yeah, spend much yeah. more time figuring huh. out what healthcare plan. I'm like, well, I'll look at about four different pl- choices and all that looks okay. And, and that's kind of the extent of it. That, that used to be my, now actually my wife just tells me that her plan ha- group has one plan. So it's actually real simple now, but right, right, but, right. Uh, that's sort of how it is for us. So how do you, uh, so how would you recommend someone to kind of start the process of figuring out what's going on? Well, you know, I, I go over this in the book, the first book that I wrote, The Guide to Buying Health Insurance and Healthcare. And what I point out is that the health insurance industry has made quite a name for itself and quite a fortune over the past few decades by taking something that really should be simple and, and complicating it beyond all measure. I, I like to say that they sell health insurance through a mix of simplicity and complexity. And the simplicity involves the two, three, four plans that you have sitting in front of you. The complexity quickly gets thrown into the mix with all the considerations over co-pays and, and uh, allowed amounts and co-insurance rates and percentages you get if you use you know, your card on Thursdays at this pharmacy or what have you. And so th- these are things that, as I say in my book, that this, all these, trying to keep track of all these variables would have made even Einstein pull his hair out. And we know what kind of equations he's used to. Uh, and so <clears throat> the health insurance industry has really taken something that ought to be very, very simple and complicated it to the point where they're making a fortune off the combination of, of really confusion and fear that's promulgated for Americans out there. You mentioned something interesting. You said just a couple of minutes ago, you said, use our health insurance. Well, right. I would submit to you, okay, without sounding uh, contrite here, I would submit to you that insurance is a product that we already automatically understand in, in, in every other aspect of our lives. Insurance is something that we don't want to use. We don't plan on using our car insurance or our homeowner's insurance or especially our life or disability insurance. It is, it is a, something that we purchase to mitigate potential financial risk. Well, that's not how the health insurance industry has been acting for the past several decades. Uh, and before around 2000, I would submit, and for many people still today, health insurance is not insurance at all. It, it's prepaid health care. And so back in the day when they came out with these $5 copays and $10 copays, what would end up happening was you went to the doctor. It didn't matter if you went for a snotty nose or a sore throat or a sprained ankle or a six-week stay in an ICU. It all got reduced down to a copay and some minimum out-of-pocket charges with a few hundred dollars in deductibles. That's not insurance. (laughs) That's prepaid health care. And so what happened was over the past 15, 18 years or so, really since the turn of the millennium, the health insurance industry has done a real number on Americans by slowly and covertly changing into a true insurance product, i.e. something that you will hardly ever get to use. And we see this in the form of high deductibles. You know, I make a very interesting analogy. It's a rather crude one, but I'm sticking by it. 
in my book, uh, that, that initial book, The Guide to Buying Health Insurance and Healthcare, and it is this. Health insurance is like drugs. It's like dope. And Americans are certainly addicted to this thing called health insurance. I mean, I can illustrate that for you all day long, how Americans are absolutely addicted to this thing we call health insurance. But like drug dealers, like good drug dealers, once the health insurers got everyone addicted to their product with the $5 copays and the concept of prepaid health care, then if you've got everyone addicted to what you're selling, you can start charging whatever you want to for that product. And that is why the health insurance premiums these days now rival mortgage payments. I mean, you've got folks paying upwards of $2,000 a month for something that, let's face it, used to be sold door to door. I mean, there's a problem there, you know? So, but if you're a really smart and savvy dope dealer, okay, if you really want to increase your profitability, I don't know if anyone in your in your audience has ever seen a Cheech and Chong movie, but this is where I get my information from on this topic. You cut the dope. You adulterate the, the drugs. And the way they did it in the Cheech and Chong movies and the way they do it, I'm sure, in real life is they throw in sugar into the cocaine or flour or detergent or something like that into the heroin. And you can turn one or two kilograms of, of a very expensive product into two, three, four, five kilograms of the same product and sell it for the same price. Now, the addicts grumble, okay, when they buy this stuff because they know it's not as pure and potent as it used to be, but they still buy it because they're hooked on it, right? Well, the exact same thing has occurred within health insurance, and it's with rising deductibles, Right. So now we have a situation where the health insurance industry sits astride the best of both worlds. They've got people paying them thousands of dollars a year for products that they almost never get to use, unlike the good old days. Right. And so, I mean, you know, to take the analogy farther, the more you use it, uh, just like a drug, the dumber you get, right? And so... Uh, <laughs> if, if you, well, the more your rates go up, well, that's what's important. Sure. I mean, go ahead. And, and like you said, it's, it is... Like you said, you you say you use it because it is not. We call it insurance, but it is in no way insurance. I mean, except in, in name only, I suppose. So when we're trying to navigate, you know, how do you select insurance? So I mean, we we can talk. We'll talk a little bit later about alternatives to uh, this sort of way of covering your healthcare costs. But you know, when people are looking at at picking a plan, uh, you mentioned deductibles. There's copays, and and these things have changed, right? I mean, we've noticed at our practice, especially the last four years since the adoption of the Affordable Care Act, probably a couple of years after it, the size of a deductible has ballooned, I guess you'd say, uh, where now yeah. it's it's so huge that people don't hit their deductible. And so right. although you use it for your selection of what you may or may not uh, want coverage for, it may not matter as much, right? Which and so what would you say if you're sitting down and you've got your three plans and we're talking about people who are not on Medicare, uh, you know, what do you, how would you, I guess, how would you guide them along the process? Well, again, this is in the book, um, the guide to buying health insurance and healthcare, you know, health insurance again is sold through a mix of simplicity and complexity. And the way it's sold is through the, the biggest marketing tools that they have out there are deductibles, 
and copays. And in my book, I actually have a chapter uh, called The Anatomy of a Health Insurance Plan. And just like you and I, when we went to medical school, the first course we took was anatomy so that we could learn the ins and outs of the human body. Uh, it really pays to know the, the definitions and, and what constructs or what constitutes your health insurance plan. So I really detail these terms and then I go over them and I detail why I think you should you should consider these terms when purchasing health insurance, which ones you should not consider at all. And the top two on that list are co-pays and deductibles. And let me explain why. Would you ever pay $3,200 extra to upgrade your plan to buy an upgraded plan that only cuts $1,500 off your deductible? Now, I know that's a lot of math. <laughs> Let me rephrase this. Would you ever put $3,200 into a slot machine that might pay you back $1,500 if you win? No, nobody I know of would consciously do that. And yet in Texas, back in 2015, I have a blog called healthcareonomics.com. And every year, every summer, I put out a special about Texas teachers and how they're getting, forgive the term, screwed by the health insurance industry and by their teachers retirement system of Texas, this quasi-governmental uh, entity here in Texas that is worth the hundreds of billions of dollars in trust funds. And yet consciously hoses these teachers and ISD employees. And this is from 2015. In 2015, I got some numbers from this entity, from TRS, the Teachers Retirement System of Texas. Would you be shocked to learn that almost 46,000, 45,989 ISD employees upgraded their plans from bronze to gold. And in so doing, <laughs> they spent 3200 and I think it was $76 to knock $1,500 off their deductible. Maybe they weren't math teachers. I hope they're not math teachers, believe me. Or maybe they're stuck in the world of calculus that I never understood. But basic math, I'm pretty good at, especially subtraction. You can ask my accountant. <laughs> but uh, the bottom line is that that when people are doing this, we clearly have a problem with how health insurance is bought. And the bigger problem is how it's sold. And how it's sold is they use these deductibles and copays as if these are the thing. Well, I've come up with an equation, believe it or not. I'm that big of a mathematician. And I assure you, I did not invent this equation. I'm sure the health insurance industry has been using it for years. But it's a really simple way to compare health insurance policies and find the one that fits you the best, that makes the most financial sense. And it's called, surprise, Dr. W's equation. I used to have it Dr. Way Casey's equation, but nobody can pronounce my last name. So I, I shortened it to Dr. W's equation. Well, here's you know, the situation say, you with know, people have to learn to, to say Pythagorean, and that's not a common name either. So <laughs> that would also be an equation. I mean, you got a chance. Yeah. Pythagorean, that's right. Uh, so I wouldn't have gotten it if you had not primed me for it. So thank you. But uh, no, the bottom line is that with, with my equation, I take into account two numbers from any health insurance plan. They're really simple to find. And that is your annual premium. Okay, that is now, now not monthly premium, not biweekly, not premium per pay period, but the annual premium. How much are you paying per year for this wonderful thing called health insurance? Now that I call the P value. And that represents your best case scenario. That's if you don't get sick and you never go to the doctor during that plan year, okay? That's your P. 
Then the, that, and that's your best case scenario. So then we have to find and add into that the worst case scenario. And here's where people get tripped up. Many people think that the worst case scenario is their $20 copay because they never go to the doctor. Other people think, well, it's my $3,000 deductible. Or better yet, I'll, I'll even go you one better. There are plans out there still that you can find with $0 deductibles. But that doesn't mean you're going to spend $0 on health care because there's another variable cleverly snuck in there that most people don't pay attention to, and it's called the O value, what I call the O value, and that's the out-of-pocket maximum. That is the amount that your health insurance company is going to make you spend out-of-pocket, out of your own pocket, before they fully and truly kick in and start covering things at 100%. So you then that, that O value, the O, represents your worst case scenario. I would say that's if you get hit by a train. Mm-hmm. I like to say in my book is my, is my silly little usage. A small train. Usage. I mean, it's right. A small train. <laughs> maybe. A box maybe it's not that. Right. Easy. Maybe you get hit by the bumper on the train. But, you know, if you come down with cancer, if you have to have an appendectomy, if you're in a car wreck, these are the things that would make you hit your out-of-pocket maximum. But guess what? The chances of any one person throughout the year who's otherwise relatively healthy having any of these instances is a small number. It's a very small number. In fact, I would submit that it's probably on the order of being hit by a train. I mean, you know, it's just a, it's an improbability. So the out-of-pocket maximum represents your worst case scenario. You add these two things together, the P plus the O, that's your premium and your out-of-pocket maximum, and that gives you W. That's the equation. P plus O equals W. And the W equals what? you might have to spend on your health insurance and your health care during that plan year. Now, here's the amazing part. This sounds really simple, right? So, I mean, I've been able to, I, I was an engineer, so I give myself. Okay. Life. Got so it. Handle so, you know, math. I can, you know, it's not like it used to be, but I can handle simple additions. <laughs> <dishes. laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. So here's the amazing part. When you start adding these numbers up and you start comparing these numbers and looking at these W values, what you find, let me just give you an example. In my book, The Guide to Buying Health Insurance and Healthcare, I sat down on September 1st, 2016, and I logged on to healthcare.gov, right? I'm going to go shopping for health Did insurance. It work or was it? Well, here's the interesting part. I plugged in my actual data for my age, my demographic, you know, where I live. I don't smoke. Then I plugged in some fictitious data for a fictitious wife and for a couple of fictitious kids. And I did some, I did some individual plus spouse analyses and some individual plus family analyses. And I did 10 different plan comparisons between bronze, silver, and gold plans in every case, all 10 cases, the bronze plan worked out to be the most financially advantageous. Now, there is a caveat to that. And the caveat, the only single caveat that I can truly think of that I, and nobody else has brought one up to my attention yet that makes sense. But the only caveat I would say is the bronze plans tend to not have good, if any, prescription coverage. Now, 
Not everyone needs prescription coverage, though. I mean, in my practice, where I don't take health insurance, where I'm conscious about people's uh, out-of-pocket expenditures, there are very few drugs that I prescribe that aren't on the $4 list that you can find at Walmart and Kroger around the country. And many other stores are going to these $4 lists. But that being said, there are some outrageously priced drugs out there, insulin being one. I don't know why that is. I do know why, but I won't go into that we today. We in episode five. <laughs> There you go. Okay, great. So you've already covered that. Uh, But there are some outrageously priced drugs out there. And if you take one of these drugs, then you probably need to upgrade your plan to get some good prescription coverage because you don't want to be left holding the bag for a drug that's potentially going to cost you tens of thousands of dollars a year. That being said, the rest of us, even me, with my asthma, my, my low HDL cholesterol, and my hypertension. I'm 49 years old. Things are ganging up on me. The medicines that I take, I manage my cholesterol and my hypertension stuff for $80 a year. That's how much my meds cost me. The doctor visit's free, by the way, because I'm – well, anyway, I won't go into that. But, I know, I know. That's my buddy. But anyway, uh, the bottom line is that 80 bucks a year covers me and I've got these pre-existing conditions. Well, for most people who are even like me, who do take medicine, we don't need that prescription coverage. We don't need it for the foreseeable future. Now, if I come down with rheumatoid arthritis and I suddenly need Enbrel or Remicade or one of these, you bet I'm going to consider, you know, next year when I re-up my health insurance, you better believe I'm going to plan for that. So my equation is very simple to use. It takes the complex and it turns it very simple. And uh, you can get it in an app form, actually. I have it on as an Android app. You can find that on the Google Play Store. I have not gotten the iOS version finished yet. If anybody out there wants to help me, I'll make a deal with you. But uh, uh, I charge $15 for the app. That's a little bit pricey, I understand, for an app. But this is not an app that that takes you to the next level of game. You don't get health points in this app. This is a financial tool that you can use to save potentially thousands of dollars a year. And people have. I've gotten some tweeted uh, responses back. I've gotten some feedback. People saving thousands of dollars a year on just buying the the best plan for themselves. And that involves looking at their best case scenario and their worst in looking at your book, I was looking at a number of terms and ones that I'm not too familiar with because, uh, you know, I don't, I, I, like balance billing, coinsurance, are these things that are really, are they, are they really relevant anymore? Well, I would say no. Well, balance billing is balance billing is an extremely relevant thing because, um, well, let me tackle coinsurance first. People, you know, this is another term that the health insurance industry has thrown in there to to mix it up, make you confused, make you not sure what what they're talking about. But coinsurance is a very simple uh, concept. It's after you meet your deductible, right? You can, and, and in fact, in one of the examples in my book, the United Healthcare example, the goal plan has a zero dollar deductible. Mm-hmm. Okay, you just can't find that kind of great health insurance anymore, correct? Well, the problem with that plan is the out-of-pocket maximum is $6,850. So just because you have a $0 deductible doesn't mean that you're not going to be off the hook for any health care expenditures. You've got $6,850 worth of health care expenditures that you're going to have to pay if you need to pay them. But the difference is with coinsurance, that becomes a percentage. So let's say you go to the hospital and you have a $100,000 bill and your coinsurance is 20%. Well, you owe technically 20% of that 
out of of that health hospital bill of $100,000, that'd be $20,000. Well, your out-of-pocket max is $68.50, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's where the stop loss is. After that, that's where your health insurance kicks in and pays the remainder of all your fees, all the charges. What's interesting, though, is that out-of-pocket maximum is actually $350 more than the one for the bronze and the silver plan in that comparison. So it's it's infuriating to see how the health insurance industry is doing this. In fact, I got to digress here a little bit and, and make this point. I, I, I put out one of my best tweets ever yesterday, just yesterday, after I learned how the, the pharmacy benefit manager industry works uh, this past weekend at an AAPS meeting. I was infuriated when I really see what they're up to, the skullduggery. And I, I tweeted out that the pornography industry in America has a more ethical business model than, than a lot of health insurance and healthcare does, because at least they're selling a product, an upfront product for an upfront price, right. you know? So uh, not to, not to get out of the, out of the realm of the realistic here, but it's just really sad to me that these industries are such a scam. They are just ripping off Americans left and right. And coinsurance is a way that they're able to accomplish that. But as I say in the book, and I go into detail in the book to explain it, it's not something that you should consider when, con- when, when comparing health insurance options. I wouldn't even look okay. at that because it's an ethereal concept. Now, balance billing Balance billing is something that you won't see. It's something you won't ever consider when buying health insurance because what balance billing is, it's still important to know it though. That's why I included it in the chapter. Balance billing represents, let's say, and I know some of your listeners have probably experienced this before. You go to the doctor. Okay. It's a Saturday. You go to the urgent care, whatever. Your copay is $20, 40 bucks, 50 bucks, let's say, and you pay that happily. But as I say in the book, the copay is just the amount that you have to pay to get out the door without having the police called on you. Okay, that's that's the amount you have to pay today. The rest is all up for grabs. And um, you walk out the door after your urgent care visit. You got a prescription for your sore throat or what have you. And you go home. And then a few weeks later, you're feeling better. Everything's back to normal. You start getting these bills. And you start getting these bills from the doctor, from the facility, from the nurse, from the manager, from the pharmacy, from radiology, from, pardon me, anesthesiology sometimes. You start getting all these bills. You get bills from the guy who cleans the carpets at the facility on the weekends. That's balanced billing. That's the rest of the story. And really, when you think about it in these terms, when you think about the fact that you're not paying the full amount at the time of service, you're only paying a copay, and then you've got to wait a few weeks before all this shakes out and it, and it gets determined how much you really owe, you can think of the copay as a bait and switch tactic. Now, guess what? Those bait and switch tactics are illegal in every other form of American industry. Not in healthcare, though. Copays are the rule rather than the exception. And they are nothing more these days with then bait and switch tactics. And why I say these days is because beforehand, the copay was all you paid. And in some cases, that's still all you pay if you have an HRA plan or what have you, an employer-sponsored plan. But if you're on a traditional health insurance plan where you have a high deductible, high out-of-pocket maximum, your copay is truly a bait and switch tactic. And it's no other industry has these things. Well, it's crazy. Special. Well, we're special. It's, uh, <laughs> I would like to recommend to you that like you to always pay your anesthesia bill. Anesthesia bill. <laughs> you pay that first. If you want to send extra, they will never turn it away. 
<laughs> not biased right, or anything. No, not at all. And, you know, as far as pornography, it certainly is the most transparent industry I think we have in many ways, right? It is. It is. It is. I mean, you, you, whatever you think of it, at least they're offering an upfront product for an upfront and price. There's, there's nothing hidden, find, right? find that within <laughs> what's that? pornography. Well, find that in healthcare. I mean, you know, you walk out the door and, uh, you know, I have a tweet that I put out there where I say behavioral economists have found that Homo sapiens North Americanensis is the only subspecies on the planet that will, you know, walk out of a doctor's office or a hospital without knowing the full charges for what they've, what they've consumed. And uh, that is really, believe me, if you're not careful, if you don't pay attention to that, you can get burned. This is where medical uh, bankruptcy cases come from, is these outrageous charges. So to shift gears a little bit, um, so we've kind of gone over the health insurance now. I've interviewed a number of people so far for direct primary care. I mean, I, it's not yeah. concierge. Uh, that is sort of different, but um, similar, I guess, in a way. Concierge is, I guess you'd say, through insurance plan of some sort, and then you have a, a direct primary care kind of like feel to your care. And so if you've, if you've not, if you've not listened to episode two or four, I recommend all listeners to listen to those and get a better feel for exactly what it is. But essentially it's a membership fee where you pay to have a private physician, I guess you'd say, but it, it does not use insurance. And so people who have, who choosing that, choose that for an option for healthcare, obviously have to have some sort of coverage for the the cancer for the the cattle cattle guard and the train that clips you and knocks you down in yeah. yeah, right. femur. And so, uh, you know, uh, outside of traditional insurance, how uh, what are your feelings on like the health sharing? Can you talk about that a little bit? Do you have any knowledge about sure. sort of how that's different? Is that adequate? Do these do these work well, or are they kind of like I don't I don't mean to say scams, but are people left with the hook <laughs> for lots of extra money that maybe they didn't anticipate? You know. Well, uh, okay, that uh, that's a whole lot to unwrap, but I'll, I'm going to do I, my I best, you. and uh, hopefully, hopefully, I won't ramble. But let me say this: I'm going to start out by saying that I I want to make it clear to everybody that I do believe in health insurance. I mean, I get this rap a lot that you know, oh, you just don't believe in health insurance. Why don't we do away with health insurance? And I'm like, hey, listen. I think health insurance is a good thing to have. I mean, I think that it's a a wise thing to have. I have it. I recommend you have it. But the difference is, and I will say this, I'll go this far and say that the only problem I have with health insurance these days, if you tell me you have a $10,000 deductible and you're paying 1800 bucks a month for that, (laughs) my problem with that, my only problem with that is that you're paying 1800 bucks a month for that. I don't have a problem with a $10,000 deductible. That's what health insurance, that's what insurance is supposed to be. It's catastrophic, rarely used. I mean, we, I, I, I can't tell you, I've used car insurance, knock on wood, twice in my life. I had a wreck at 16. I got hailed on a few years ago and I had to invoke my policy. I've used homeowner's insurance once 10 years ago. To get, my house got hit by lightning. And even then, the deductible was so high. You know, that I, I barely got to scratch the, I got a check for a few hundred bucks to replace several computers and electronic uh, devices in my home from the lightning hit. So, 
Insurance is something that I think is wise to have, but the only problem with it is how much we pay for it. So as an alternative that has risen up these days are the health sharing ministries, the Christian health sharing ministries and other things. And I, on the surface, I want to I be clear about this, and I've not done my homework on these things like I have the health insurance industry. I will say that it's an unregulated industry still at this point. And although I'm, I'm a libertarian and I'm against, in theory, government regulation, you know, my libertarian views say that I'm against force and I'm, I'm all for the government protecting us against force and fraud. And so some of these smaller fly-by-night, you know, I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if a few years from now, these turn out to be Ponzi schemes or Bernie Madoff type situations. But some of the bigger uh, sharing ministries, you know, the, the ones that are out there and the nationwide, I think those are pretty safe bets. But Here's the deal. And, they, and, and let, let me say this. They can save you a lot of money. One of my patients was spending literally $1,700 a month for his health insurance for him and his family. He switched to $400 a month for, for a sharing ministry program. And that's a great savings. That's tens of thousands of dollars a year. But let me be clear on this, though. You cannot do this with the idea that, oh, I'm going to join the sharing ministry and then I'm going to get my medical care paid for again. Yeah, right. You, you can't. I mean, you shouldn't approach it with that mindset. You should be with the mindset that I'm going to I'm going to have this. I'm going to stick it in my garage like my chainsaw and I'm going to hardly ever use it when I need it. It's great to have it. I'm going to pull it out, dust it off and use it. But I'm not going to go into this with the idea that, oh, well, United Healthcare won't pay for my you know, my flu shots anymore. So I'll just get MediShare to pay for my flu shots. You'll be disappointed because they don't do that kind of a thing, nor should you expect them to do it, which leaves a real gaping question here. Okay. This is the part of the unwrapped process. So what do you do if you're now bare bones and you're now, you know, out there and you're responsible for your healthcare costs, which, Hey, if you have a $10,000 deductible, congratulations, you're a consumer. You're, you're, you have to pay 10 grand before your health insurance kicks in. Well, you can do that with a, an ER visit or two, or you can become a consumer. You can become a smart shopper, just like everything else you do in your life. I mean, I know people, I know women especially, no offense against the ladies, but I know some people who will spend all afternoon driving to four or five stores in a 10-mile radius just to save a few bucks on something. And good for them. I mean, if they've got the time and the inclination to do that, who am I to discount that? But we need to start applying that same carefully sharpened and honed consumer instinct to healthcare purchases. And key in that, the absolute key in that, and I go over a story that really happened in my book about this, uh, this type of a, a scenario, is you can't let it out of the bag that you have health insurance. Let me give you the example here that I talk about in the book. I had a lady. She needed an ultrasound. I think it was of her gallbladder or something like that. So I have a deal with a local imaging center here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. <clears throat> Pardon me. And I told her, I said, look, you go over there and get this ultrasound done. It's going to be 120 bucks cash. However, if you tell them you have health insurance... I don't know what it's going to be. You're going to, I mean, it could be a thousand. It could be $2,000. I have no idea. And since you have a high deductible plan, you will end up being charged for all of that. You'll most likely end up paying most of that. So just go over there and tell them you don't have health insurance. Boom. There it is. Whammo. You're out of there. Well, so she goes over to this place and, you know, she didn't trust me then, but she trusts me now because she decided to be a smart shopper, right? And say, Okay, so it's $120 if I just pay cash for it. Well, 
tell me how much it would be if I put it on this. And she hands them her blue cross card or whatever. And they look up her benefits and they go, oh, well, instead of $120 and you're done, now it's going to be a $200 copay and we will bill your insurance the rest. So what do you think she said? She's like, oh, well, give me my Blue Cross card back. I'll just pay the 120 bucks. Thanks. What do you think they said? You're out of luck. (laughs) If I I could bill you a thousand bucks or 120 bucks for the same service, I you know, even as ethical as I am, I think I know which, which path I would take if yeah. given the choice and you've just given me the choice there. So it's a, it's very important for people to understand that you need to put away the health insurance card for m- the majority of your health insurance purposes. You got to put the thing away, even for elective surgeries. I mean, when you can go to the surgery center of Oklahoma, shout out to Dr. Keith Smith there, who I'm going to see in a couple of weeks at a meeting here in Fort Worth. If you can go up there to the surgery center of Oklahoma and get the same knee replacement for, I don't know, 15 grand versus $55,000, you need to do that. You know why? Because that $55,000, what's that going to do to your health insurance premium? I mean, think about that. So people need to start taking these things into account and really pushing for this. And as soon as they do, guess what's going to happen to the price of that $15,000 knee surgery? I'll bet you anything it comes down. When more and more people start acting as consumers and when more and more people start doing this thing where they're using their own pocketbooks instead of their policies, you're going to see prices come down, service, customer service will go way up, and consumer choice will enter the picture too for healthcare. There's one other thing I want to say about that that's very important important. And I've heard this again and again. I met with a a Senate candidate out of Arizona this morning, Dr. Kelly Ward, who's wonderful. And everybody out there in Arizona, please uh, campaign for Dr. Ward and vote for her. She's doing the right thing and she's going to help fix health care and health insurance. But the bottom line is Kelly asked me, Dr. Ward asked me, she said, so what about insurance fraud? What shouldn't people be worried about insurance fraud? And I would say this, if you've got two cards in your wallet or your purse, one of them is a health insurance card, the other one is a MasterCard, it's up to you to choose which one of those you use to pay for your health care. You cannot commit health insurance fraud by choosing not to use your health insurance. That being said, the provider, the doctor, the imaging center, the hospital, they can commit health insurance fraud if they know you have health insurance and they don't use your health insurance, then they can be on the hook for health insurance fraud. So the best thing of all to do for everybody involved is to just say, you know, I'm embarrassed to say it, but I don't have health insurance. Believe me, nobody's going to look at you sidelong and go, this person doesn't have health insurance. You know, they must eat uh, eat ramen noodles every night. They're not going to say that. They, nobody could care less. It's like, Okay, I got to tell a funny story. My mom used to tell me, always change your underwear because if you get in an accident, you wind up in an ER somewhere, they're going to look at you and laugh. Well, as an ex-emergency physician for 20 years, I assure you, we never not once looked at anybody's underwear, much less laughed at them. So nobody is going to take you to task for not having health insurance. Just proudly say, I don't believe in paying that much for that nonsense. I don't have it. How much is it cash? You'll be shocked at the value you get. And if you don't get it, And I'm not saying it's going to be easy every time, but even if you don't walk out of there with some value that time, call them back the next week. Tell your friends to call them and pressure them. I'll bet you pretty soon they start playing ball. Uh, Well, I know in ER, you guys, you may not look at it. You may not look at it. But you you definitely (laughs) cut it all off. But you definitely (laughs) cut it all off. 
we're too busy cutting right. it off, man, to, to, right. to care. And then believe me, the scissors are getting dirty with other things too. So nobody cares yeah, about your dirty underwear. Go to ER. <laughs> well, that being said, I'm not an advocate for wearing dirty underwear, but Hey, and, whatever. And for us in, in insert <laughs> OR is please <laughs> clean your belly button. Please I mean, <laughs> the stuff you find in there. Anyway, as the OR nurse will. <laughs> I think there's life forms that have been discovered in belly buttons. So, so the uh, next, yeah, the next question is about yeah, healthcare numbers. Your second book. Uh, what sort yes. of uh, what sort of advice do you have in that? I mean, it's mostly anecdotal stories, right? And so, yeah, what it is? Well, okay, so. I did not. I did not know what what these things were called until I started writing this book and they're called aphorisms. And what an aphorism is, it's a witty little statement that, that says a whole lot. They're usually funny and they get people thinking. And so this in essence defines Twitter. I mean, if anybody out there is on Twitter and you got a, it used to be 140 characters, which really made you be witty. Now they've doubled it. But uh, the bottom line is you got to get your point across. You got to make it understood and you may have to make it engaging so that people will remember it. Um, so what my book, the, the Healthcare Onomics 101 is, it's, it's all about, you know, 500 ways you're being ripped off by the health insurance and healthcare industries. And I do sprinkle it with some small vignettes and stories in there, but mostly it's these little aphorisms like, um, you know, Healthcare Onomics 101. Um, your health insurance deductible is now $12,000, which means that your health insurance company doesn't get to say no to your MRI anymore. Any questions? Um, so it's that kind of just make you think logic. You know, people say, made you blink. I'm like, nope, made you think. Uh, because it really, you know, these messages, people think of healthcare and they just shut down. They don't want to talk about it. It's so complex. La, 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 la. You know, voter fraud. La, 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 la. Russians. La, la, la. They don't want to hear any of this stuff. But what I'm trying to do is to bring a sense of humor to the to the arena and to bring just a simple, clear, concise message, messages that point out the absurdity of what we view our healthcare system as. Let me give you another one. I'll bet none of your listeners would allow some health insurance company to pick what goes on their pizza tonight they're going to have for dinner. And yet I'll bet most of your listeners will allow a health insurance company to tell them you can't see that doctor. (laughs) That is nuts. When you, when you step out of the box and you look back at it, it's really, it's so obvious. It's, it's sort of like the emperor has no clothes, you know, nobody's calling this because it's so obvious. And uh, what I try to do is to engage readers make them think about it and use humor and just little short little pieces of devilry to get the yeah, point and I, across. And I think it's, yeah, and I, I definitely catch myself being <clears throat> a penny wise pound foolish. Right. Uh, and, and sometimes yep. it's a lot easier to drive an extra eight blocks to get save two cents a gallon of gas <laughs> yeah, than it is right. to uh, spend another 20 minutes deciding how much maybe thousands of dollars you're going to spend the next year. Right. And I remember this in even in medical school that your, your student loans are so large that you think, well, what's another $2,000? Right. Exactly. I mean, obviously it's significant, right? But you don't exactly. think of it at that time. You're already got $150,000 debt. You're like, ah, 152, ah, 150. What's another two grand? And the time, right. value, money, the interest, all that stuff. Yeah, you bet. 
You bet. Yeah. That so. two grand becomes five. Well, I, I, I just think that the way health insurance is sold in this country, let me, let me give you a quick story too. Uh, it's the introduction to my first book, The Guide. And it's, uh, it's my genius story. And it really happened. And I was at a concert a few years ago and this couple sitting next to me, they said, well, so what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm a doctor. And as you know, I'm sure that's a, that's a great conversation starter. And Sometimes. so the, the woman looks at me and she goes, well, what kind of doctor are you? And I said, well, I, I have my own clinic. I have my own practice, but I don't accept any health insurance. And I mean, both of their looks on their faces, they digested that for a second. And she, she looks at me and she goes, she looks off in the distance and she goes, wow, that is genius. You know, I think you're a genius. And I looked at her deadpan. I gave her my, my best face and I said, you know, ma'am. I don't consider my business model to be genius. I look at it as being like uh, every other business in the U.S. I mean, I provide a service and I get paid for doing it by my customers. So what's genius about that? And, you know, the looks on their faces, the consternation is getting even more deeper. And I looked at her and I said, but let me tell you what's genius, though. You want to know you want to know what's really genius. What's genius is the fact that you think I'm a genius. Now, that is is genius. And oh my, as, as they really digested what I was telling them and understood it, they realized that for 50 plus years, they've been had for their entire lifetimes. They've been had by this industry, this third party payer structure that says you don't pay for doctors. They're too expensive. It's too, too, too beyond your control. When the reality is we should be paying for them. We should be absolutely pretty sensible. I mean, I think, uh, <clears throat> we need, it's genius. Even. You look at <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine that it, that we have an industry that is so strong. I mean, that's in a, in our market economy that we have something that is so very much not a market. It is in very weird way. It's so un-American. Yes. It it is not in any, any way would you look at it? Any sort of other industry in this country, would you purchase your products or food or, or anything in a manner where you don't know how much it costs, you walk away, you pay part of it up front. I mean, I guess, People do even if you get a lease payment for a car, right? You put some money down, well, which would be akin to a co-payment, right? Yeah. You at least have you need to know what your bills coming later. <laughs> You're like, it's absurdity. It's absurdity in the extreme. Let me let me clarify something too for you, if I may. And uh, you know, you you'd gotten into labeling these things as concierge versus direct primary care, that kind of stuff. You know, I, I, okay. I'm kind of offended at all this, not at, at any one person, but the very notion that how sad is it that we have to label this as something when the reality is my father owned his own business in his later life. This is what he did. He had his own business. He charged customers. And, you know, these, these, this permeates every aspect of every workaday American's life as you go and you buy things and you pay for them. You get services or products in return. So the fact that we have to label this is sad in and of itself. But I would say this, that as long as we're sticking with labels, let's do this. Let's call it. And my next book is actually uh, going to be titled How, The Guide to Establishing a DPC Practice. And by DPC, what I mean is direct patient 
care, not direct primary care. Because to me, there's no reason why anesthesiologists, surgeons, specialists, we've got a a surgeon specialist in San Antonio, uh, Dr. Chris Held, who's an ophthalmologist. She doesn't take any health insurance. Uh, You've got a rheumatologist over in Florida. Who, who doesn't take any any health insurance? She doesn't even take Medicare. I mean, these are th- these are specialists who are th- who are making it. They're doing it, uh, and it's because they've they've convinced their patients that it's worth it. The value is worth it to them for as the patients, and it's direct patient care is what it is. So I hate these labels, first of all. But if we are going to label it, skip the concierge stuff, skip the DPC being primary, all about primary. Let's call it direct patient care, and let's get all of our colleagues involved. In it. No, I think that's great. And I, and I think, you know, the one, the, the only difference I would say with healthcare and with being a physician is it's not like a biz, business in that you have a, uh, an intimate relationship with your patient. I mean, I don't have obviously as much of one cause I've got five minutes and convince someone they're not, I'm not going to kill them. For, yeah, for right. I mean, right. although in, in some ways it's even more challenging, right? I mean, I've got to convince someone that I'm going to take care of them and they're going to be fine when we come out the other end, but, but it is a different relationship that you have with people. And so it's very, it's, I mean, it's the most intimate sort of business transaction most people have in their life. And so, and it's, I think why we all treat it with reverence as physicians and patients treat it. And so the fact that we have this screwed up system it just it actually just saddens everyone. I think that's and that creates a lot of disillusionment for for people who finish medical school and go into residency and then come out of into practice because it's not that Norman Rockwell uh, picture they yeah. they envisioned it to be. And I think you know you see yeah. that burnout and sort of other other problems you have in healthcare because again it's not it's not what you th- no one goes to medical school saying I want to work for you know this guy and I'm going to have somebody yeah. pay it and. You, you want to take care of people and you want to take care of problems. You want to help people. And that's, I mean, no matter, no matter how money grubbing you find a physician, that is why they got into the business to begin with. Sure. And, uh, you know, I mean, all, everyone wants to take care of their family, but that is ultimately why we, why we did, why we do what we do. And that's, and that's, that's why that's you want that me. relationship, right? That's what, and the, the honest, transparent relationship makes it all a lot easier. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the, 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 I guess I'm probably one of the only physicians out here these days that I know of who is actively encouraging young people to go into medicine. Um, I have five children, four of them are adults, and I've told them all, if y'all want to go into medicine, I absolutely think you should. Because to me, the future for physicians and patients is very, very bright. And uh, I don't think yeah, that we're going to come up with a single payer issue. I don't think it's a it's a legitimate possibility. I mean, it could come around, but I think to me, the game changer, the thing that that has made the difference, is high deductibles. And I point this out in my book, the first book, um, is that the health insurance industry has really shot itself in the foot with their greed with their, their um, ability to make you responsible now for most of your healthcare costs on any given year. Well, in doing so, they've lessened their importance. Right. So right, right now, all they're operating on is what I call the big myth of healthcare, this idea that you need health insurance to have healthcare. Well, again, if you've got a $10,000 deductible, why are you letting your health insurance dictate what care you get and where you get it and how often you can get it? I mean, you have to pay for this stuff anyway. 
So you might as well not use your health insurance. You might as well ask for a deep discount. I mean, you know, MRIs, 350 bucks right. versus 3,500 bucks. Ultrasounds, you know, medicines. I mean, the, the most expensive antibiotic injection that I administer, the one that costs me the most, I should say, it cost me about three bucks. I only charge $35 for it for an antibiotic injection versus, you know, six or $900 in the hospital setting. So people need to understand this because it's really up to them to change it. And they should change it. They're motivated to change it because through no, no control of their own, the, 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 the control has been taken away from them. They're being forced to pay these, uh, initial amounts of, for their healthcare before their health insurance kicks in. It's now an insurance product. So, they might as well grasp that, own it, and then use it to their best advantage. So I think that hopefully in the next few years, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back into the primary care realm now because I think insurance will always have a place in specialty care for the train wrecks, the cancer cases, that kind of stuff. But for primary care and office-based medicine especially, health insurance shouldn't be involved in that at all. I, I would love to see a world where Essentially, no primary care doctor accepts health insurance. Yeah. It's just not, it's not happening. It's not a given. Yeah, I mean, I think I, certainly I've, I feel like, as you say, with the deductibles being so large now that it is changing patients' behavior. I think you're right that people don't quite grasp what's, what's happened and that they still consume, uh, I don't like the term, but consume health care at the same rate and just throw it towards a deductible. And then they realize afterwards that they didn't really even get there or it, even when they got there, as you mentioned, the out-of-pocket maximum is maybe far exceeds what their deductible was. And so they're, now they're just paying yeah. different co-pays. And so from a, from a financial standpoint, it, it doesn't make sense for them to – it makes sense for them to try and to work outside the system. And it just – as you said, it, people don't understand that there's, there isn't a way around <laughs> – you know, to- well, I, w- I would say they are outside the system. They've been pushed there by their well, health right. insurers. Right. Uh, and so, you know, but it's, it's really up to them to, uh, to understand that a, cu- a couple of stories we, we had happen in my clinic. And these are, well, I'll tell you the one story. It's a true story. It really did happen. We had a gentleman come in and uh, he wanted to be seen for something. And I was doing urgent care at the time. And the charge was $99 to be seen. That was my visit charge. And in most cases, that was it. I didn't do any extra stuff. I mean, as a cash paying, if you're paying me cash, I'm less incentivized to overcharge you and overbill you because then you're going to go tell your whole social media platform about how, what a ripoff I am versus if I'm billing your third party health insurer, I'm going to bill for everything. I'm going to bill for the straw, putting the straw in the drink, the ice, the drink, the cup. Um, So I had this $99 kind of global fee. And he walks in one day with something going on and he looks at my clerk and I didn't, I didn't actually see this happen, but I, I more or less heard it happen. And he says, $99, why would I pay you $99 to be seen when you don't even take my health insurance? I'm just <laughs> going to go to the ER. Uh, and th- my clerk looked at him and said, but sir, your ER copay is $250. You know what he said on the way out the door? He said, well, at least I take my health insurance. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I don't know what to say to you, man. I don't, I don't know how to counter that with anything that wouldn't get me in trouble with the FCC. I mean, come on, that's stupid. Uh, that is ridiculous. But that is illustrative of the American addiction to health insurance. Right. They are so addicted to health insurance. They want, you know, and, and they're paying so much for it these days. They want to use it. They want to squeeze every drop out of it they can possibly get. And I'm like, well, as SpongeBob would say, good luck with that. You know, it's just, you know, 
I mean, come on, you want to hit a $10,000 deductible? Are you nuts? <laughs> So, yeah, that we've got to get beyond this as a nation because we're wasting trillions of dollars. We're wasting thousands at the individual level and trillions of dollars a year at the at the comparative level on money that could be spent elsewhere for just nonsense. Well, Dr. Way Casey, I'd like to thank you and for joining me on my podcast in FCC Free Zone. <laughs> I appreciate it. And, thank uh, you so much. And your books, The Guide to Buying Health Insurance and Healthcare and Healthcareonomics 101. 500 ways, and I guess they're aphorisms slash tweets uh, to yep. be ripped off by healthcare insurance. Those will all be on the show notes page at theparadox.com slash 007. Uh, also, your Twitter handle is hconomics. Is that correct? Yeah, hconomics. If you just look up healthcareonomics, you can find it. You have that You have that kind of n- nailed down. That Yeah, that's that's almost trademarked. It's almost branded across my forehead these days. Well, best of luck to you. I look forward to your new book when it comes out. Maybe we'll have to have a chat when that comes out. You bet. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to The Paradox. If you like what The Doc is doing, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And share the show with your friends. Become a supporting listener to get access to special bonuses at patreon.com forward slash the paradox. Show notes can be found at theparadox.com. Hey. Yes, I'm sir. Back. How's the how's the reverb now? I don't, hear anything. I don't hear myself, which is always best. So yeah. Good. Good. Okay. All right. Yeah, I bet your wife says the same. Yeah, it's best. Uh, when, <laughs> yeah, it's always best if she doesn't hear me. Um, just uh, well, I don't hear her most of the time, right? So that's part of the yeah, problem. yeah. Name one spouse that does yeah, hear the other one. That's that good. frequency. I'm not quite sure what it is. <laughs> uh,